Welcome to Boosting Your Financial IQ, a podcast for investors, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and individuals looking to transform their organizations and lives through greater financial literacy. I'm Steve Coffrin, and I'll be your guide as you seek to better your financial life. I turn around, grow, and invest in high potential companies, and I'm here to teach you the fundamentals of accounting and finance so you can speak the language of money and act intentionally to drive greater financial value. Are you ready? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me for another episode. Before we get started, remember that this content is for educational purposes and should not be construed as financial or legal advice. See the podcast notes or byfiq.com for a full list of disclaimers, terms, and conditions. Now on to the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Fin Weekly. My name is Steve Coffrin, and here I provide weekly updates on what's happening in the world of finance and the economy. Today is June 1st, 2023, and hey, it's a fresh start to a brand new month, and I love June. I love summertime, but I especially love June, and we have a lot to talk about today, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Okay, for starters, I wanna provide some details on what's going on with the debt limit deal. The debt limit deal is now on its way to the Senate after the House voted last night, 314 to 117, potentially diverting a disastrous federal default. If it's passed, which as of now, there's a high probability that it'll clear the Senate vote, the bill will suspend the nation's debt limit through January 1st, 2025. The time frame to pass the bill and to get it signed into law is extremely tight and there is little room for error, putting an immense amount of pressure on leadership in both parties. So you may be listening to this and wondering what exactly is this bill all about? Let me explain. The bill would reduce budget deficits by $1.5 trillion over the next 10 years, which is really nothing compared to the $31 trillion of rising debt that we currently have in the United States. In addition, the agreement includes spending caps for the next couple of years to allow time for the government to set up the appropriations process. Military spending in fiscal year 2024 would be limited to $886 billion, and non-military discretionary spending would be capped at $704 billion, then rising to $895 billion and $711 billion, respectively, in 2025. The deal would also rescind about $28 billion in unspent COVID relief funds, eliminate $1.4 billion in IRS funding, and shift about $20 billion to non-defense funds. Furthermore, in bad news for you with student debt out there, it would restart the federal student loan payment process, which has been on hold since the start of the pandemic. It would also put work requirements for those looking to tap into the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program and temporary assistance for needy families benefits for people up to 55 years old, with exceptions for veterans and homeless people. Finally, the bill would modify the National Environmental Policy Act, the NEPA, to help streamline permitting for projects. But overall, folks, before we get too excited and think all is well, just remember raising the debt ceiling just means more spending on the nation's metaphoric credit card. In other words, all that's happening here is that we're increasing the credit limit to spend more money here in the United States, money that we don't have, quite frankly. So where will all this money come from? With no talks to increase taxes and a slower US economy, it means printing more money and thus more inflation. So be prepared. Okay, let's talk about tech. Investors are still betting on big tech. 
In the world of stocks and bonds, the tech giants are taking the lead while treasury yields are on the decline. Investors believe that the big tech rally will continue to thrive as concerns about a possible U.S. recession drive them towards stocks that offer profitable growth even in challenging times. Notice there that I said profitable growth instead of just growth for growth's sakes. That's really an important distinction here as we move into this new economic environment. All that is according to the market's live poll survey where around 41% of the 492 participants reported that they believe buying quality stocks focused on profitability will yield the highest returns this year. They reported that moves including taking long positions in companies like Apple and Microsoft could be beneficial in the long run. This trend of investors seeking stocks with robust cash flows and promising revenue growth despite their high price tags isn't exactly news though. In fact, the NASDAQ 100, dominated by tech companies, has already recovered more than half of its losses from the 2021 peak to the 2022 low. And that's what I'm talking about here, folks. If you tune into the Boosting Your Financial IQ podcast or you listen to my other podcast called Business Strategy, I'm always emphasizing free cash flow. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Investors are looking for stable companies with consistent cash flows to invest in. With all this, my guess is that the buzz around artificial intelligence is fueling their zealous momentum. Switching over to the bond market, treasury bills maturing in the first half of June saw a rally following the debt ceiling deal announcement. Yields on these securities, which were considered at high risk due to the government's cash depletion, are still continuing their decline. That matters a lot because while the stock market remains optimistic, the bond market suggests that the Federal Reserve may opt to implement aggressive interest rate cuts in the coming years. That's not just me speculating though. Billionaire investor Cliff Asnes said that he sees this divergence as a concerning factor, even stating that if inflation remains high or if the economy enters into a significant recession, equities could become a risky investment. And last up in news from the stock market, US consumer confidence dropped to a six month low, revealing that they have concerns about the labor market and business conditions. Now, given the ongoing threat of a recession, this caution doesn't come as a complete surprise. I've got my sights set on the upcoming jobs report, but remember folks, you have to take this data with a grain of salt. You have to understand the overall macro economy and what's happening here. The reason why I say that is because if you remember first quarter GDP numbers, they weren't that spectacular. First quarter GDP growth was not great in the United States, but in fact, those numbers were just revised lower. So numbers are reported out, but then the numbers are being revised later on. So you have to be very aware of that, that the numbers change and that all this data may not tell us the full economic picture and the reality of what's going on out there in the economy. But regardless of how this data is actually presented and the truthfulness of it, it will no doubt be influential in shaping the Federal Reserve's decisions and future market movements. And since we're on the topic of big tech, NVIDIA, the AI chip powerhouse, crossed a remarkable milestone surpassing a market valuation of $1 trillion. This puts them in the exclusive club with other tech giants like Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft. What's interesting though, is that their stock actually surged 7.7% the other day, pushing its market capitalization over that $1 trillion threshold. This remarkable growth was fueled by their strong sales forecast, driven by artificial intelligence related products. NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang introduced an AI supercomputer platform that allows other tech companies to develop their own AI models. So there's no signs of slowing down. 
While some experts have expressed concerns about industry cycles and increased competition in the artificial intelligence market, NVIDIA has proven itself as the leader in AI chip technology, inching out other companies like Intel and capitalizing on the growing demand for AI-related products. However, Kathy Wood, the manager of the ARC Innovation ETF, has raised skepticism about NVIDIA's surging stock price. Wood believes that NVIDIA may be overpriced, suggesting a potential bubble. Although the stock's price-to-earnings ratio has decreased, it remains relatively expensive compared to other AI chip stocks. NVIDIA's achievement showcases their significant role in shaping the future of AI, but the market remains cautious about their stock's valuation. We'll have to see what develops in the next few months. Okay, moving on, the Winklevoss twins are facing several challenges with their crypto exchange, Gemini. First off, the SEC has sued Gemini as regulators tighten their grip on the crypto industry. So while crypto prices have rebounded, Gemini's market share has actually shrunk compared to its competitors. Gemini's trading volume has also declined, falling 46% in the January through April period compared to the September through December period. In addition, Gemini's workforce has shrunk to around 500 employees as several executives pack up and leave the company. Now, their business model has relied majorly on trust, security, and regulation to attract ordinary investors, but the increasing regulatory environment in the US makes it difficult for them to operate a crypto exchange. That's why Gemini is exploring opportunities overseas, including the possibility of establishing a second headquarters in the UK and a new European base in Dublin. Concurrently, Gemini is also dealing with other legal issues, particularly related to the earned product. Customers who earned interest by lending out their crypto have been unable to withdraw their funds since November 2022. That's when the lending partner, Genesis Global Capital, filed for bankruptcy. Since then, the SEC has sued both Gemini and Genesis, alleging the sale of unregistered securities through EARN. And in other big business news, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company is going all-in on serving the ultra-wealthy and their investment firms. They've set up a special unit called 23Wall, led by J.P. Morgan's veteran Andy Cohen. From a business lens, it's a strategic move to expand their services for the world's super-rich, working closely with the bank's investment and private banks. Their main focus is on catering to about 700 families who are worth a staggering $4.5 trillion combined. This move comes as banks worldwide are competing to get a bigger share of the wealth generated in recent years, particularly by targeting family offices. JP Morgan's private bank has been actively opening new accounts with other banks like Goldman Sachs and Citigroup, which are following suit and expanding their own private banking services. The establishment of 23Wall is a poignant sign that banks recognize the increasing sophistication in wealth management among the world's wealthiest individuals and families who now rely more on family offices to handle their fortunes. Cohen and its team are already operating globally, serving clients with diverse portfolios and interests in private deals, real estate, and philanthropy. Despite the global financial challenges caused by inflation and raising interest rates, the ultra-wealthy have actually seen their fortunes grow thanks to soaring investments in technology valuations. At this stage in the game, family offices are looking for investment opportunities in public and private equities, which creates a strong demand for the services offered by 23Wall. It's a clear sign of how the ultra-rich are evolving in managing their wealth. 
Last up on my list is the housing market in the United States. It seems like investors are ditching the US housing market because they're not making as much money as they once did before. In the first quarter, there was a huge 49% drop in home purchases by investors compared to last year, the biggest decline we've seen in over 20 years. So you may be wondering why? Well, higher interest rates, lower rents, and homes losing value are eating into their profits. Even cash buyers are feeling the squeeze because they often borrow money for renovations and stuff, and now the rates are much higher. In places like Phoenix, a whopping 31% of homes sold by investors ended up being a loss. On top of all of this, regular folks looking to buy homes are actually outcompeting investors in 17 out of 40 cities. One example is Charlotte, North Carolina, where investors used to make up about a third of the purchases, but that number has now dropped to about 18%. It's safe to say that things are getting tough out there for investors in the housing market right now. So that's a wrap for today's edition of Fin Weekly. Remember, if you haven't tuned in to my new podcast called Business Strategy, I highly recommend that because that will help you as a business owner or a business leader or an aspiring entrepreneur, wherever you're at in life, they'll help you to understand how business works, how strategy helps organizations to become more enduring and more resilient, and how you can drive greater financial value in whatever business venture you decide to pursue. Okay. Also, if you haven't downloaded the Boosting Your Financial IQ app, if you're just listening to this as a podcast episode, make sure you download the Boosting Your Financial IQ app. It's free. You can get that on the Apple app or Google Play Store and download that today and you can get access to this and a lot of other great resources. Like I said, it's free. So you should do that because it will help you to increase your financial intelligence. I want you to be smarter out there in the market. That's why I'm so passionate about doing this because I want you to understand what's going on in the macro economy because when you have this understanding, it will help you both professionally and personally with your investment and financial decisions. Okay, that's all I have for today. Thanks for tuning in and in the meantime, take care of yourself. Cheers. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you wanna be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for Boosting Your Financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at byfiq.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play App Store today. Thanks again.